You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. I'm back. Yeah, he's back in the country, folks. They didn't even give me too much of a hard time at the border either. Really? Yeah, I got to give my uh, my hat goes off to the fine people at the border crossing near Fernie that my memory escapes me. I did get charged duty, but I mean, I had an experience last year where uh, <laughs> they just charged me with an arbitrary number. It felt like it was very arbitrary this time. They looked at my receipts. Uh, I have a receipt showing how much I paid, and it was perfectly fair. But I guess before we get the cart before the horse, welcome to Two Guys Talking Wine. I am Andre Pru from AndreWineReview.ca. And I'm Michael Pingus of MichaelPingusWineReview.com, and I've just opened my bottle of wine for this evening. We totally did an SNL open on this uh, on this podcast. Oh yeah, I guess we did. <laughs> Live from wherever UT we are. Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've got my bottle open too. I'm uh, drinking actually, some Oregon wine Oregon tonight, on, actually, just in case. But that is kind of a kind of a teaser of where we are going to go this evening. It is. So, uh, what do you have open? Or no, you know what? Actually, I know where your bottle's from, so yes. I personally will let them know. I'm going to tell you what I opened. I had uh, Gamay on the mind tonight, and uh, I went. I, you know what? I was going to go for a Taz 2011 Gamay. Okay. And right beside it was a Taz 2012 Gamay. Okay. And I thought, uh, but I couldn't make up in my mind. So, strangely enough, I went for a uh, Vineland Circle of Friends 2012 heatsink. Gamay. I, I don't. I don't know why. Brian made Gamay. Yeah, yeah. He made this. This is something that they. Are you excited? <laughs> you know what? Often, often I get a little jealous with what you open because it's something I don't have access to. It's something that I'm interested in, and I'm pretty sure that you pick the wines to open just because you like to screw with me. Yeah, I like to piss you off a little bit. <laughs> but this... this time, the bottle I have, I think, will also make you equally envious, even though you've. Likely never heard of the winery. This is uh, a wine that he makes. They have like a wine club over at Vineland. And every so often he makes, uh, I think they're called Circle of Friends wines. And they're just for wine club members. And this was one of them. I'm not a wine club member there. but uh, Sometimes they go on sale to the, the general public. Like he made a Gamay Nouveau a couple of years ago that was just very, very pink. And it was, um, you, yeah, could, you could I, buy I that. They, I think they go on sale when when they've gone through their their membership list. Yeah. So this one, I believe Brian uh, heard about my love for Gamay, or I was talking to him, and he said, you know, try this. Well, there and, you go. Uh, now I'm four years later. <laughs> so here here I am. Is it <laughs> good? Have you tasted it yet? But you know what? I think I tasted one. I think I tasted this with him when he first released it. And it was, because it was 2012, I found it very aggressive, uh, which is odd for Gamay. But uh, I, I think the just kind of letting it sit for a bit has made this a much uh, much better wine. You know, I think it, it's, it's one thing, and even in my limited experience, let me tell you, people underestimate how Gamay will age. It, it ages far better than people will ever give credit to. That's, um, that's lovely. There's still a uh, kind of uh, no. I'm going to call it a heat. It's it's 12.2, but there's still a a bit of that uh, aggressive note to it. But it's the fruit is is a little bit better. It's more on the darker side than it is on the uh, on the lighter side of, of fruit. But that's a that's a very pleasant one. 
All right. So that's my uh, my brief review of wine you, you you can't get anymore. So what have you got? I have a Pinot Gris that is beautiful Pacific salmon colored. Ah, you know what? I hate Pinot Gris, but for some reason, I'm really attracted to those ones with color in them. <laughs> you know what? There's a great story behind this, too. And it's uh, from a winery called Territorial, which is located in downtown Eugene, Oregon. Eugene, Oregon. It's uh, apparently the city that Portland steals everything that's hip from. Eugene? Yeah. Isn't it also, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Eugene the capital of Oregon? I don't know. What do I look like? Some guy on Jeopardy? I just went there to drink wine. Oh, sorry. All right. (laughs) I'll look it up myself later. Thanks a lot. (laughs) No worries. Everybody else look that up and let, let Andre know. But I guess to, to, to kind of ease into it, we are going to talk a little bit about the, the trip that I took to Oregon recently. And uh, it's actually kind of interesting because I knew, obviously, people at this point have heard of the Pinot Noir that's coming from that state. But the reason I fell in love with uh, Oregon wines was my interactions with winemakers at I4C, the Cool Climate Chardonnay Celebration. So I was expecting to find some amazing bottles of Oregon Chardonnay. Well, that's and, what I was going to ask you. They do a lot of great Pinot. So what was the Chardonnay like? Did you? It was incredible. And, and don't get me wrong. Like, that's it's what I was looking for. It was what I was expecting. But it's not the number two. The white wine of choice, the white grape of choice seems to be Pinot, Pinot Gris. Pinot Yep. So I was a little surprised when I got there, and it's, it's even more fun because when I got to Territorial, which is already, it's an incredible winery. It's really interesting because you have this winery right in the middle of the city, and the way that works is they own their vineyards outside the city and just truck the fruit in. Uh, but it does make it a little easier for them to, well, I'm assuming it will make the, it easier for them to sell the wine because they have their tasting room and the retail space right in a commercial area of the city. And when you walk that, into the tasting room... You call that an urban winery, did yeah. you not? Yeah, because, I mean, they have the full production facility, like the back half of the building is, you know, there's, uh, you know, giant uh, crusher and, uh, you know, your barrel room and and all of the equipment that you need to make wine. But then the front half looks very much like a tasting room. And there were two urban wineries that I I visited. Uh, The Oregon Wine Lab was the other one. And they're both just set up almost like lounges. Like you have... um, chairs and like it just looks like a very cool place to go and hang out and have a glass of wine and you can buy the stuff that you're tasting it's something that i would really like to see in toronto and it just kind of reminds me of the fact that i you know i've I've said before in some of my writing it just feels very unfair that as a craft brewer i could set up a space literally in the middle of toronto assuming i could get the zoning and have access to market right away where if I'm a winery and I want to set up a production facility, I'm limited to either Prince Edward County or Niagara or Lake Erie North Shore. Well, here's what, here's what I would just stop you for a quick second and ask a couple of, how far is their vineyard from their wine, their urban winery? You know what? I, I think that's, I guess sort of the one thing is the, the area is literally surrounded by the vineyards. Like it's a, it, it's a little closer than I think what you would have given that, you know, Toronto's an hour away from Niagara, two and a half hours or two hours. Hour, hour and a half, and then County. if you add that traffic in, yes. you know, would you want your grapes sitting on a truck for three hours while it goes through, you know, crappy traffic? I, I guess you'd have to, you know, night pick and stuff like that and do it when... Uh, you know what, I, 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 I don't know if, the, if, if that much time would make that much of a difference from 
truck to uh, production or to crush pad because uh, if I'm not mistaken, you had uh, Will Preto make his North Shore project with fruit from the Lake Erie North Shore, and that fruit was taken care of, and, and th- that wine was made at Hinterland in Prince Edward County. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to talk to uh, Jonas and see what um, what his experience the going that far. Now, there's obviously stuff that goes from Niagara to, to Pelee, so... Well, I mean, there's another ex- example is Pelee Island. Their processing facility is on the mainland, and you have to take a ferry ride from... Yep, the ferry ride has to go, and that ferry ride's an hour, hour and a half, isn't it? And there you go. You're going from the, the island to the mainland. So maybe logistically we need someone in the city to look after that, but I think there's some rules with uh, with the VQA or with, with the licensing when you get a winery license on owning land or owning vineyards. But, I mean, that's something we'd need to look into. Before. I don't want to say anything definitively and have to take it back. Well, now that I th- think about it, when I did the wineries of Traverse City, uh, there was a guy there who uh, had an urban winery. He didn't have his own vineyards, and it escapes me, but he was very popular. Dang it, I can't remember what his name was. Well, I mean, then that's the thing. So, so these two wineries are both making, uh, territorial especially, are making incredible wines, um, very reasonably priced. And uh, one thing that I learned is that people in Oregon are gun-shy on making pink Pinot Gris. And uh, I wish people weren't. Pinot is good for you. It's incredible, and this one that I that I have in, in in my glass right now. I mean, it's it's got everything you expect from a very good concentrated Pinot Gris. So it has some definition. I know that. I think you and I are both a little critical of, of Pinot Gris when it can be a little boring. Yeah. Well. Yes, boring would be. I think it's very close to one of the most boring grape varieties in the world. But depending on, on depending on, on who makes it and how it's made and blah blah blah. I mean, there's it, a, it is, but for the most part, I would say it's probably one of the most boring grape varieties. And, and I found the exact opposite from from Oregon Pinot Gris. I mean, they've they've it's it's their second grape for a reason. And uh, I mean, this I guess they they call it uh, rosé of Pinot Gris. And I mean, it just have the, that little like the hint of red fruit and you almost wonder if the the flavors are are in your head because they're so subtle because i mean the wine does taste like pinot gris it's apples and melons and you know good acidity it's uh yeah i'm happy well, i brought this I, bottle I remember, back uh cassava made a great pinot gris last year uh that was on the pinkish side and lacy made one this year that was freaking neon pink and it was I also mean, very good total, i totally missed that totally missed it Oh, it's too Lacey, bad. If you're out there, send me a bottle. Um, <laughs> I think they only have a couple of cases left. They tweeted about it this week. Oh, well, then obviously they don't need my help. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, well. Actually, this Gamay is really good. So what else did you learn out in Oregon? Um, well, on the, way, Valley. on the way down, we actually had to make a pit stop. I need to give a shout out to a couple of places we stopped at in Portland. And, and Michael, this is the sort of place that I could just picture being right up your alley, too. Uh, right in downtown Portland, everything's walking distance. And uh, we made a trip to Voodoo Donuts. Oh, that sounds good. It's a donut shop where, like, nothing is terribly expensive. Like, we're talking two, three bucks for a donut. And it is, like, the fanciest best put together donuts i've ever seen in my life like i got uh the we actually went there twice we went there on the way in and the way out it was so good we had to go twice so on the way in i got a, a peach fritter i got a peach so, fr- it was so nice we had to visit twice absolutely so i got a peach fritter on the way in uh that was covered with like an inch of cream cheese icing 
and oh my god like i just i couldn't finish the whole thing but it was just like everything was just so fresh and the fruit was tasty and the icing was tasty and it's somewhere you have to stop and the um the second place i have to give a show to was actually on the suggestion of uh, remy charest from uh montreal okay he said that we need to go to uh lardo which is a sandwich place in downtown uh downtown oregon is that exactly what i think is going on there uh well, lardo is sort of like prosciutto, but on the fatty side, right? Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, the sandwich is like, uh, porchetta is kind of their, their their specialty. It's item one on the menu. But I got their take on the Cubana, which is called a Don Johnson. And it was just yeah. like ham and, and spicy mustard and pickles. And it was just like, it was the most perfect sandwich I've had since I can't remember when. Andre, you got me thinking sandwiches, and um, uh, you know, you and I got to take a trip to Montreal and get some Montreal smoked meat. But that's just a total aside. Okay, maybe love, Remy, maybe Remy will come with meat. us. Love it, <laughs> and I, I've developed an even greater love of it this week because I went to Costco and I picked up some Duns, which is uh, I think they're out of Montreal, are they not? Uh, I picked up their Montreal smoked meat, which they've now they're now selling in Costco, and I've been making those every day this week and. God, it makes me miss Montreal smoked meat sandwiches. Authentic, obviously. From Montreal. Being there. But I'm way off topic now. Okay. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having my back on that one. No worries. <laughs> but, I mean, those were sort of the, the pit stops. And we, then after we had a chance to spend just a bit of time in, in Portland, I mean, when you're on a trip like this, it is all about food and wine as well. It's not just about the wine, but I mean, one thing that kind of stuck out to me is the support for uh, local beer and, and local wine. I mean, at Lardo, they had nothing but local beer on, on their taps there. And um, one thing about Oregon that I saw pretty much similar to what I saw in Kelowna and sorry, the Okanagan Valley. And is, in Washington, you were very, in you Washington. and I tweeted or. Uh, I spoke or, or or Facebook back and forth a number of times, and that's something that that you were you made mention of in every single place that you were at was the local support. The, the thing about Oregon, though, especially, is it's just like it doesn't feel like there's an obligation. It's just the people in that state are so fiercely proud of their agriculture, even in a a, a big city like Portland. It's just it's it's in their DNA. It's part of the culture, and it's something that's really impressive to see. And, and, and you asked me a question a number of times, actually, right from the Okanagan, right from uh, Oregon, and from Washington. And I guess I'd like you to ask it publicly. And you know what? I need to frame the question in, in, a, in a certain way. And uh, I'm going to ask you the long version of the question just so we can kind of get into it. Um, because the wines in, in the Okanagan and in Oregon are both... In, in general, a little expensive when you're looking to get into even entry-level stuff. And I was happy to pay the prices. Like, if I'm talking, you know, 22 23 bucks for a bottle of Chardonnay in in BC and 30 bucks for a good bottle of Pinot in, in Oregon, I, I absolutely don't mind spending that. But the support from the restaurants and, and the people in the areas is, I mean, I just, it's something we don't see in Ontario. So where did we go wrong in Ontario? I mean... Even in Vancouver, you, you're hard-pressed to find a wine list that doesn't have strong uh, local support on, on their list. And the people in the Okanagan are, are very pleased to have the restaurants that, that are taking their product. But, I mean, what's going on in Toronto? Where did we go wrong? 
I don't know if you actually want me to answer that question or if it's kind of a, a you're posing that to everybody or um, I, I don't know where we went wrong. I, I, you know what? There's there, I, I, We talked to a, a gentleman who used to be part of the National Club in uh, Toronto. I think it was the National Club anyway. Yeah. And um, he said that when he dealt with the wine list, uh, the wines were terrible. I think that was one of the things. And, and I mean... Let's be honest. Uh, Ontario had a reputation at the time of being t- uh, terrible wines back, you know, before Donald Zeraldo, um, and when Donald talked about that on our on the podcast. But you know, slowly but surely, now that we are in 2016, uh, I, I think the terrible wines are few and far between. There are definitely more good wines than than bad wines, and there's a lot of good wines that are at very reasonable prices for for high quality. I mean, if we're looking at even boutique places, like you've got your 2027 sellers, your 16 mile and your back 10 sellers. I know these are all wineries that just have numbers in their names, but they're all making top notch uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And they they all have very good solid portfolios going in at at 30 bucks. Yeah, but you know what? Every one of those that you mentioned does have a wine that's under 30. They have something in the 20s. Yes. And I, I, I think you definitely need something in there to to lure restaurants. And you mentioned 16 Mile. Uh, I know they dropped uh, one of their wines to get that sweet spot for restaurants uh, in price. And it, it made the wine even a better deal to me. So, I mean, it's just one thing I, I, I just couldn't wrap my head around. And I mean, there's one thing that I, that I saw that, you know, Given that the wine industry in Oregon is almost the same age as, as the wine industry in Ontario, like they had their first serious commercial plantings take place in the 70s. But the, I mean, the big difference is they started with Pinot Noir right from the get go. And I mean, Michael, if, if you and I were to go and buy a vineyard in Oregon, we would be obligated to plant Pinot Noir, not because it's what we would want to make. But I mean, it makes sense there. And they were lucky to come kind of out of the gate running yep. with, you know, well, they have- they they also have international, you know. Druen is uh, is in Oregon. Yes, you know, and and, and they've you know the, the the international reputation for the region uh, is definitely there. As you know, large companies from or or wineries from other parts of the world go. Hey, we see uh, we see something here that we can do, such as Pinot. Druen is known for making great Pinot, and boom, now they're in Oregon. It was actually really fascinating. I, I realize we've already rambled on for quite a bit of time in, in this podcast, but I, I actually got a chance to go to uh, the Irie Vineyards in Oregon. Absolutely bulletproof portfolio, and it's a story I'm going to have to write about, so keep an eye on AndreWineReview.ca to tell, hear the long story, but I got to meet the guy who, uh, I guess, sorry, the son of the guy who got the attention of Drouin to bring him to Oregon and bring him to the United States. And um, I, I can't say enough good things about the wines. Um, I brought back actually a bottle of Chardonnay from, from that winery. But their Pinot Noir is excellent. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just thinking uh, that uh, La Crema, they went from California into Oregon. Yes. To make, to make wine. And, uh, and and I'm, I'm thinking of another. Um, I'm trying to think of another California winery, and I've met the gentleman. His name is uh, Craig Camp, 
and his winery is all about. Um, and, and I'll have to. I'll have to figure this one out again. And I his, wish I could help all, you out because I mean, to one thing, they. I, I'm told that there are as as many as 600 wineries in in Oregon, and I mean every. Every state and province have their own rules with setting up wineries, but I think it, it is a little easier to sort of set up. They call them, we call them virtual wineries in Ontario, but they call them custom crush there, where yeah. you can buy some fruit, go to a winery and get a custom label put on the, uh, put on the bottle for you. But as I was saying, this, this guy, Craig Camp, he, he makes California cabs and he thinks that's what California is known for, makes Syrah in California. But he said, I would never, and you'll like this, I would never make Pinot in uh, in California, I'm going to Oregon. Oh, I love that guy. I love him yeah. so much. I will have to figure out what his winery is, and it'll it'll come to me later. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. It, it's like every winery I went to, every single person had these amazing Pinot Noirs, uh, these good Pinot Gris. And don't get me wrong, I, I really enjoyed the Pinot Gris that I tasted, but um, the Chardonnay that I tasted, like I mean, that that was sort of a big question mark for me. And I know I've asked the question about where Ontario went wrong, and we can go back to that, but. It's just interesting to see in a region that has a, a parallel timeline to Ontario, but it's just like, it's almost like we're Ontario, we're kind of scrambling to figure out what the next big thing is or what we're going to use to define ourselves because we have so many good things going for us. You know, Oregon laid the groundwork with Pinot Noir. They built the next level up with Pinot Gris. And it's just now that they're coming to the realization they can make good Chardonnay. And it was just, uh, I guess you had a lot of winemakers that, uh, they were, I, I heard a lot of talk about clones, and they had Californian clones planted in their vineyards, and it was just not hot enough for these grapes to ripen. So people had written off Chardonnay as a, a great variety that you can grow in uh, in Oregon. But I think it's just a thing where I, I don't know what's going on. I tasted so much good Chardonnay from uh, wineries like Iris. Um, Lemelson is another great Chardonnay producer. Uh, the Irie Vineyards. I mean, these are all all wineries that uh, are making incredible Chardonnay, and it's almost like the people down there don't realize, like, just how good these wines are and how much. I I, I think Chardonnay is just one of those things that if if you can get the word out on it, people will buy it. Everyone loves Chardonnay except for you. Um, I I really don't know what to say. I know what I like in Chardonnay, uh, but for the most part, it's not the first wine that I that I reach for. You know, uh, I, I think I'm in, I'm in Chardonnay just, denial because I, I like to be pretty ob- objective about what I drink, but it's just like Chardonnay does not last long in this house. I'm 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 gonna put that out there. And I, I'm sorry, Michael. I think I might have a bit of a Chardonnay problem. Um, we can you can get that looked after. You know that. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll see what I can do here. Okay, so the the people in Oregon like they're very very scientific and analytic in how they manage their vineyards exactly like they are are in Ontario. So like all the winemakers can tell you about the clones of Pinot they have planted, the clones of Chardonnay they have planted, the Dijon clones, the Californian clones, the 777s and and, and what's in the vineyards. But another fun thing is a lot of these wineries have small blocks of Riesling and every single winery that I went to and I said, well, what clone of Riesling do you have planted? Because I'm a big fan of the Vice 21 clone we have a lot of that planted in in niagara none of these people know what clone of riesling they have planted and some of the Rieslings i tasted are just incredible and i know i have the pinot gris from territorial i'm kicking myself for not buying a bottle of their riesling but i didn't want to pay any more duty than i had to i don't know i you know what i would actually pay to see that 
Pay you to see what? You kicking yourself. Okay. I'll, uh, next time we get together, I'll gladly take your money for that. <laughs> but anyways, uh, Territorial has this Riesling, this gorgeous, like, perfect balance, a little bit of residual sugar, mineral, lime. I mean, uh, it's straight up one of the top five Rieslings I've tasted this year anywhere. Uh, I would have loved to bring a bottle back and pour it blind against some Niagara Niagara Riesling just to do the side-by-side. I mean, it's not better. It's not worse. It, it's just, it was just very, very very good Riesling and they just work with what they get in the vineyard. They have Riesling planted. They make Riesling. They don't worry too much about the clone or anything. They just deal with what they've got. All right. Oh, by the way, I know now I'm off topic slightly again, but I remember that Traverse City winery. It was called Left Foot Charlie's. Left Foot Charlie's? Left Foot Charlie's. It was the one that was the urban winery in Traverse City. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in just to you know, bring us back around to the urban wineries and 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 everything. So, have you said everything you want about Oregon, or or would you like to continue on? Um, I think I have said everything. Poetic. Although, if I can go, if I can go, there's one really random thing I have to throw out there about McMinnville, which is kind of one of the hubs for uh, for the wineries down there. They have this really really kick ass air and space museum there. Which cup? Air and Space Museum. Aaron? Air and Space. Oh, Air and Space. Yeah. I thought it was some like it's actor. An, it's Air an airplane space. museum. It's now, an airplane you know. museum, Michael. It's got airplanes. Oh, all right. It's the home of the Spruce Goose. Oh, yeah. The airplane that destroyed Howard Hughes. I'm, I'm you know, I'm kind of surprised that you would even pay attention because there was wine to have. You know what? The wine makes the museum even more enjoyable. And actually, at the museum, they have vineyards planted right outside the, the museum. Okay, so I, I want a total here. So you were you were in uh, the Okanagan, you were in Oregon, and you were in Washington. How many wines did you taste? What were you, how long were you gone? A week? Uh, yeah, it was about it was 10 days with some pit stops in Calgary. Like, there were some driving days where there was no wine tasted. Okay. But uh, my final total is about 230, including some tank samples. Wow. Yeah, it's nothing. Thanks, we did, Michael. Uh, I, did, I, did, I, did, I did the Okanagan with my mother. We did almost 1,000 wines. My mother out, outdid you. My mother. And we had days where we actually took off. So there. It was 10 days. Ha! My mother beat you, Andre. Didn't realize this was a competition. 70-year-old lady. Beat you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hang my head in shame, but you know what? I still have a glass of pink Pinot Gris that I can enjoy. Do you? And I have a circle of friends, uh, heat sink gamay from 2012. Well, I'm going to stick with my Pinot Gris for tonight. I'm Michael Pincus, the grape guy from michaelpincuswinereview.com. I'm Andre Prue from andrewinereview.ca. Good night. And, uh, and join us again every two weeks for Two Guys Talking Wine. Yeah. Every second yeah. Tuesday, subscribe on iTunes. And uh, find Andre at Andre Wine Review on Twitter and Facebook. And, and find Michael Pincus at The Grape Guy, because he's the grape guy. I am a grape guy. Good night! Thank you for listening. You can subscribe at twoguystalkingwine.com.